Welcome to Deacon's Pod. I'm Deacon Dennis. Say hello to my co-conspirators, Paulus Affiliate Deacons, Deacon Drew and Deacon Tom. Hello, this is Deacon Drew. Hello, this is Deacon Tom. Good afternoon, my friends. Good afternoon. Hey. How are you, Drew? Hey, how are you? I'm good. How is the air by you today? Well, today it's not bad in Connecticut. We had a lot of rain yesterday, so I think that did us some good. But before that, definitely, you were like, who's burning the fire? Campfire around here somewhere? It was, couldn't see the other side of, of the lake that I'm at, and it's, it was significant. You don't want to be breathing that stuff. But today, it's, I don't smell it, and it's not obscuring the landscape, so it's better. But it was pretty intense. So, yeah, well, I was sitting on the porch Friday before we went over to West Virginia. And it was amazing. Then it said that it was a blur. I thought my glasses needed cleaning. <laughs> I said, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? And uh, right. it was Tom, it was foggy. we've been around you long enough. I, know. I don't want to offend you. But... <laughs> well, yeah, was it, you shot, were, so this was on the porch in Maryland. Yeah, in Maryland. Now. And okay. you couldn't smell. There was no smoke smell. But the haze was real. And it was like a fog because you could see it a little thicker and thinner at times. But it was an attaching Maybe. dinner. Maybe we should make clear to our listeners in case they are maybe living in other countries or living in other parts of the United States where they might not have been affected by this. But the wildfires in Canada, which are still raging, I think, as we speak, I won't name the date we're talking on, but have been burning for weeks. And in certain parts of the Northeast, and I think the Midwest, at least, and I know down to the South at some point in time, have been covered by the smoke by those fires. And our air has been unacceptable at times. Dangerous levels for seniors and children and then dangerous levels for everybody. Yeah, they everybody. canceled so, schools. Some of the camps were canceled for the kids down here. They uh, Listen, they, that yeah. stuff, you've got giant chunks that are just big enough to get into your lungs and into your bloodstream, but it is bad juju. And it's not just wood. I mean, there's plastic. There's all kinds of stuff up there. The, the news was saying in that there's toxic stuff in that. But the point is, you don't want to be breathing this. And it's not just you smell a little smoke. It's a real health hazard. And note to all the people who say, well, it's not my country. Well, everything, it's all connected in the environment, isn't it? We don't care what happens across that imaginary line we drew. Just think about that for a minute. That's the height of crazy. An imaginary line. Yeah, okay, that'll protect you. And this smoke from time to time and other pollutants from time to time have traveled across the oceans. And we've had that issue, too. But but other people, some people say what Dennis just said, and other people say, well, it's, it's, it's fires. We've always had fires. But I think it's pretty clear we haven't had fires like this. And well, maybe it, not is, this frequently. it is awful early for fires, wildfires in the Great White North. Generally, Tom, right? Yeah, I mean, really. They're just, the snow is hardly finished melting. It should be nice and moist up there. So stand by for August. You know what I mean? Right. That's what I'm thinking. This is way early up there. And as far as the other thing, we may have always had fires or whatever, even if you stipulate to that and say, yes, that's true. That's on top of all the other stuff that we didn't always have that's affecting us and we just don't even know it or we're not aware of it or whatever, all the chemicals we've let loose, all the plastics, the what, whatever. The pioneers, they could still drink out of those rivers that go by my house. I wouldn't. I don't even eat the fish. Throw them back and just catch them for fun. So a lot has changed, and this is in addition to whatever was true in the good old days. So that would be what I would say to someone who said, we've always had fires. So the uh, Back in the 80s, I climbed to 
Mount Washington with some of the kids. And we got to about 5,000 feet or so, and you could see this layer of haze. And I thought it was pollution. I said, well, this is amazing because once you broke through that layer, it was crystal clear. I ended up meeting up with a ranger. And I says, is this a pollution? He says, and I says, that's still from Mount St. Helens, which went off what, 1980-something, 1982, And it was still hanging several years later. Well, um, and again, you Mount Washington's in New Hampshire, we should tell the correct. listeners. Yeah. And Mount St. Helens is in Seattle, Washington, Washington State, right? Yeah. On the, on the other the side country, of the country. 3,000 miles Years away. later. Two, yeah. Years later, yeah. it's still hanging there. Yeah, so yeah, natural stuff is out there, and you can recognize that. But it, it's amazing when you get up close and personal, plus the haze and everything else that was built in. So I'm sure it wasn't. People, this natural, people, natural will kill you. Yeah. Poison yeah. is natural. Yeah. yeah. A short life is natural. Like this stuff that is natural, those volcanoes, that that's natural. There have been years that we know of where there was no summer. Correct. No yeah. crops grew because of various volcanoes going up and blotting out the sun for a year. Yeah. It right. might be natural, but it's no bueno for us. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and the, I think it's important that we're talking about this now, not only because it's happening to us as we speak, but because today we have a guest who might know something about these things. We'll be talking to Stephanie Clary, who's the environmental editor at NCR. Yeah, she knows a lot more than we do. Up to speed and a lot of the historical aspects already. Yeah, right. Well, let's talk to Stephanie. Let's quit quit wasting everybody's time. Yeah, listen to us. What do we know? Welcome, Stephanie Clary, to our podcast. How are you this morning? Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me to be on the show. Well, it's our pleasure. Stephanie Clary is the editor of EarthBeat, which is a part of NCR, National Catholic Reporter. It's online and it's also in the paper, a hard copy, which I, being my age, I always have to get the hard copy. It's a relatively, I think it's relatively new, EarthBeat. Is that correct? EarthBeat was launched in 2019, so it's a couple of years old now. I have been with EarthBeat just over a year, so it was a year in January when I joined as the environment editor with NCR. But our staff writer at EarthBeat, Brian Rowe, he has been with it since the launch in 2019. So how did you get to NCR? Tell us a little bit about yourself. It has been a fun ride, and it's really interesting to think back now about how my former roles really prepared me for this one. When I was in grad school for a theology degree, I was first introduced to the idea of environmentalism being a concept we can approach from a faith perspective. And so I was in a class on feminist perspectives on biblical studies and theology. And each week was dedicated to a different focus. And one week was ecofeminism and theology. And it just blew my mind. I was introduced to ways of thinking about scripture that I knew really well, but to think about it in new ways that just resonated more strongly with my own experience. And so I just latched onto that, ended up making my master's research paper all on ecofeminist theology. And when I graduated from school and was looking for a job, I first found myself in a Catholic high school, was able to bring that 
idea that I hadn't encountered until I was in grad school as a oh, like 22, maybe bring that to the high schoolers that were questioning whether this faith thing was something they wanted to keep doing on their own or that they were going to engage with after graduating from a Catholic school. And uh, it was really interesting to hear some of them say, well, you're the religion teacher, but you care about these things. And like the butt would really eat at me. No, why are you saying that? Of course I care about these things. Can I ask you a question? Explain to me and our listeners Ecofeminism, it sounds like it explains itself, eco and feminism, but how do they come together? What is that exactly? Sure. So for me, I think it should be redundant to say Catholic ecofeminism because for me, the values that make me Catholic are also the values that make me identify as an ecofeminist. The ideas of equality and inclusion, that we are all connected, that when one of us suffers, we all suffer. When one of us flourishes, we all flourish. So in that class I mentioned during grad school, it was just looking at more intently some of those threads and how they surface in our lives and in the world. So a really clear example would be how feminism is looking at how privileges of men versus women in the world The ecological angle on that would be how humanity is privileged over non-human aspects of creation, and that a lot of the same logic and themes can be applied to both. Okay. Are you a family person? Do you live alone? Tell us about that, if you will. Well, the listeners can't see that as I'm speaking to you all, I have a crib behind me, and that's because my home office is also in the nursery slash playroom. (laughs) I have three little boys four, two, and 10 months old. We moved to the Chicago area in 2020. And that was partly to be closer to family, partly for career decisions. And one of the things that we didn't expect was that actually moving from Vermont to Illinois has allowed us to make our transportation a lot more eco-friendly. So in Vermont, for all its wonderful green focus, nothing's walkable. You have to have cars. So we had two cars in Vermont. And when we moved to Chicago, we were able to become a one-car family. And we have a hybrid minivan, which I love to talk about because we think it's the coolest thing. And a lot of people don't think minivans are very cool. Well, it's the Cadillac of minivans. (laughs) (laughs) We can fit all the kids in there and the dogs. We have two dogs. And I can't even tell you the last time we got gas. We just, we walk as much as we can. We take public transportation as much as we can. It's been alongside becoming a mom was also as I was really digging into my own eco-spirituality and creation theology. So we've explored different ways of being able to parent with sustainability in mind. We did cloth diapers for a couple of years. We, the kids love taking the food out to the compost bin and gardening, just talking about different things with them. It's really great to see them then reflect that back and hoping that for them as they grow up, it's just naturally a part of what they think about for faith and just life in general. Right now with the ages they are, it's more telling them they don't have to pick up every single piece of trash, especially the gross trash, because they want to clean up everything. I don't want to squash that passion, but you can certainly 
have little kids and still live with sustainability in mind. And have you been able, since you moved to Chicago, find a parish? So we're members of St. John of the Cross in Western Springs, but we also are plugged into a variety of parishes and church groups just through my, I went to grad school in Chicago and I have a lot of friends from grad school who are now priests or deacons or work in various ministries across the city, across the country. And one of those things that I love about the Catholic Church is that while we do have the parish structure, which is really valuable to your local context, we also have a structure that's greater than that. And so my two youngest sons have been baptized by a dear friend of mine from grad school who's now a Carmelite priest. Um, we did one of those baptisms at the church where we got married in South Bend. And it's just so nice to feel like while we do have our parish home, we also have a home in so many Catholic communities and Catholic spaces across the country. So Carrie is now through your story. So then I, after I worked at the Catholic high school, I worked for Catholic diocese and their communication office. But one of the things I was asked to do by Bishop was to lead a diocesan effort focused on Laudato C's, Pope Francis's 2015 encyclical on ecology, on care for our common home. The bishop had been asked for a greater emphasis on those teachings in the diocese. This was in the state of Vermont. He said, a lot of people are asking me to do more on this. I know it's something that you are passionate about and also that you are educated on. Can you lead this effort? And so I, of course, said yes. And I was able to, with a committee that we put together and all the other diocesan departments involved as well, do a year-long effort in the Diocese of Burlington, Vermont, where we looked at the message in Laudato Si. From there, I moved into more publishing roles. So I was at U.S. Catholic and then now with National Catholic Reporter. And again, just always thinking about how can I bring this care for creation theme into the work I'm doing, even when it wasn't as it is now, like the main focus of my work. So I'd weave it in where I could and was just really excited when I saw that NCR was looking for a new environment editor. It felt by that point in my career, I had done a lot of things that really prepared me for this role. And I'm still learning every day that I'm here new things, but it's such a privilege to be able to focus now almost exclusively on this issue that has had such a huge role in my own faith and professional formation. Okay. So you're the environment editor for NCR. Earthbeat is the column or more than a column, really, but huge sections of the paper of the NCR are dedicated to Earthbeat uh, on a regular basis. Great articles. Years ago, my wife and I took our kids to see Peter, Paul, and Mary back in the 80s after they had come back together. They had separated and they're now back together. And if you ever saw a Peter, Paul, and Mary concert while they were still around, they would then individually take pieces of the show. And Paul Stuckey had this thing where he talked about when he, years before he was doing this concert, the magazine that everybody had to buy was called Life. And it was Life. And then People became very popular. But People is smaller than Life. And then Us became a very popular magazine. And then finally, at the time he was doing the concert, Self. It was a magazine called Self. Yeah. We went from life to self. 
So when we look at the when we look at life from that perspective, when we look at the world from that perspective, I like to think about environmentalism in the same way. And I also remember, and I don't want to talk about this too long because we're here interviewing you. When I was in college, my back in, in 1971 at University of Georgia, I took a course with a professor who really turned out to be an environmentalist. That's not what the course was about, but that's what he was all about. It's the first time I knew that we could think about these things. He talked about the Amazon and how the Amazon supported the entire world and how burning down the Amazon was going to hurt the entire world. But he was way ahead of his time back in 1970, or except I think perhaps we were all behind the times, if you think about it. So where are we today with environmentalism, if I can use that term? And if I shouldn't use it, tell me what word I should use, please. Sure. I like to use the word ecology more than environment. Something I have to think about as an editor, too, in our digital world is search engine optimization and what's going to get in front of people online. And environment or climate is always going to be more clear for people than ecology. But when I would be writing theology papers and just in general, ecology is actually the better term because I think environment and even more so climate tend to narrow what people are thinking about, right? When we think about environment, we're typically not thinking about humans. We're not even usually thinking about animals. Environment makes us think about just the surrounding land, water, air, exactly. But ecology is this all those things, how they relate to each other, which is so much of what Pope Francis is talking about when he talks about care for creation, that humans are part of creation too. We're all talking about the same thing, but I do think that ecology is a better, a more accurate term to use when we're talking about these things. It's just not the term that's really been taken up by the mainstream movement as much because I think it's just a little less understood. But in terms of where we are today, But are we making strides? Are we improving? Yeah. Yes and no. So we we cover really a breadth of things at Earthbeat, small local situations. And then also we try to weigh in on global things that are going on as well. And I think in general, we've seen an increase in understanding from terms like we used to hear about global warming more often. Then there was the shift to climate change because global warming, while it's referring to the temperature of the planet getting warmer, it was misleading in terms of how that affects the weather we're experiencing, right? Like the snappy comeback that you would get about, well, global warming, then why is it so cold? And it was just like, you couldn't always explain how all of that is connected. I always thought that it could be easily explained, but more of a question of whether people were listening and wanted to embrace what was going on. Right, right. And so I think this shift to climate change really does allow us to be thinking about all the changes that are happening. Places are hotter, places are colder, wetter, drier, more extreme storms, just an increase in changes most of which are leading to more intense experiences for the people or other things living in those areas. And now, most recently, we'll see this mention of a triple planetary crisis, which is just nuancing that even further to say we have climate change, then also biodiversity loss. So the number of species is dwindling. So more things are going extinct plants and animals. 
like lump all three to say this triple planetary crisis of climate change, biodiversity loss, and pollution. It's all connected. And I, the Catholic part of me really loves this use of three, right? Because <laughs> we're not looking at just an either or one or the other, but it's three things. They are very connected to each other. It's all really the same issue, but just presenting in different ways and experienced differently by different areas. So I personally really like this new triple language that's being used. And then, of course, there's different efforts and focuses that prioritize each one of those things. What would you say, though, is the number one problem that we face today ecologically? We know that there are wildfires raging in Canada still as we speak. But is there something you would point at as being the number one problem that we face, that if we could address that one problem, things would be better? Because it to me seems like there are several. I think it would depend who you ask, because we all experience climate impacts differently. And so what's the biggest issue for one community or even one individual is not going to be the same as a community or individual on the other side of the world in a different a different culture, a different type of climate. But one thing that we see increasing is the disparity in how climate impacts are felt. So probably all of us on this podcast don't really feel the effects of climate change too significantly in our daily lives. Uh, now, I think at least one of you is near New York, so you probably this year in June did... Right. Feel those a little more strongly with the air quality from the wildfires in Canada. It was very frightening to be of a certain age and going out and breathing the air. I'm sure. And <laughs> the photos were really striking. It was also here in Connecticut. Awesome. I think the Midwest is getting it now, aren't they? Yeah. It has broadened. The circle has broadened because of the low and the airflow, upper airstream. Yeah. Right. So things like that, like hazardous air quality or access to clean water, these don't typically affect, typically, those of us on this podcast, probably. But there are parts of the world, and Pope Francis talks about this in Laudato Sea, and it's in thousand scientific studies, that this is what they deal with every day. They have dangerous air every day. They don't have access to clean water every day. You know, in issues with the land that they rely on, not just for their food, but for their family's livelihood and income. All of these things are being affected more significantly for some, while some others of us are able to just carry on more or less in the same way we always have. And so I think especially when we're looking at this from a faith perspective, that is a very significant problem that when we, we should be trying to alleviate those differences in, in access and livelihood, it, we're just seeing that get worse and worse. Well, that's, you just led me into a, an area that I wanted to talk to you about. And I don't think anybody on this podcast will dispute that ecology and climate change are significant issues, which we have to pay attention to. And in a few minutes, maybe we'll get down a little deeper in the weeds to talk about how we can do that keeping in mind my whole thing about life, people, us, and self, and how these things, and how we can have an impact. But we are here on the Paulist production of Deacon's Pod, talking about church issues, spirituality. Why should Catholics care more than anybody else 
or should we care at all? Why should the church be involved in this? Why did the Pope even write an encyclical about it? What, what's the, how is this a faith issue? I think there's two main reasons, and there's a lot of other things that could fall into these categories, but one is, like we were just talking about, the church cares about alleviating suffering. And so there are all sorts of different data sets you could pull from, different studies, but a number of reliable ones say things like 90% of humans breathe dangerous air on a daily basis. One out of three people can't access safe drinking water. And there was just a recent one in May, I believe, that said, if current trends continue, by the year 2100, a fifth of the human population will live in areas that are not livable for human life, are not conducive to human life. Those no, are, in case yeah. we don't know, we've seen this movie. We're seeing it already, like, to help people connect the dots. It's like, no, one-fifth of humanity is not going to sit and choke and say, hey, people, you enjoy your summer. I'll just sit here and die. That's not what's going to happen. Because a lot of times, this is really, I think, the problem is that we're okay for the most part, where most of us are. And this seems like another world, another problem. I got enough on my plate. Well, by the way, you can't escape this. I don't care where you live. And it may be your, your children and grandchildren can't escape it, maybe depending on your age or whatever. But this is not a, that's not our problem problem. Right. And I know we've had some stories at Earth B recently about groups trying to make that connection, particularly with immigration, that just like this interconnection between pollution, biodiversity loss, and climate change, it connects to other issues as well. Just like for me, it connected to feminism when I first got into this work and other aspects of theology, it's connected to immigration, it's connected to other peace issues, it's connected to racial issues, especially when we talk about the pollution and like where these fossil fuel plants are, where the drilling sites are. This is connected to so many other justice issues. And what we try to do at Earthbeat and what has always made this so meaningful to me personally and my faith is looking at every issue through this, the lens of Laudato Sea, because in Pope Francis talks about all of it in there. It talks about urban planning, like things that you wouldn't expect to find in a church document. It's in there because it's all connected. And so I think, yeah, when we talk about why the church should care, it's one, because it's connected to all these other justice issues that we care about. And a lot of times if we had, if we looked for the root issue, it would be grounded in the earth systems that are causing the following issues. To your point, Stephanie, the ninth district did New Orleans after Katrina. It still hasn't recovered. Mm -hmm. But if that was Miami Beach, I think the recovery process might have been a lot faster. You know, and if I can just jump in on this question, push it back just a little bit further for our more traditional conservative confreres in the faith and our sisters in the faith who may be saying, ah, these liberals, here we go, blah, blah, blah. And you're assuming they're listening. Right. I like to keep a good thought. That Mr. Optimistic you, here. Yeah, that's why I admire you so much. So yes. I'm, go ahead. My, I'm sorry. My, delusion, my delusions <laughs> are to be admired. As anyways, anyways, but I would say this to Stephanie's point, which you made very well, that just using some traditional language, again, that whole how do I connect this is, yeah. Hurts, but in, but... in traditional Catholic language, the word would be communion. Mm -hmm. And this is the specialty of Catholicism, 
we do not promote a me and Jesus, got my Bible, sorry for your problems. This is not us. That's a lot of other forms of Christianity. But the real Catholic is someone who that doesn't make sense to. We are all in this together. We have the communion of saints. You ain't getting to heaven on your own steam. It's a group effort, all of us. So that whole idea of communion, and the Pope has just really, Pope Francis has reiterated an insight from St. Francis that brother, son, sister, moon, that like these are also God's creatures. And oh, by the way, we're not going to get very far if the sun doesn't show up today. So I think that as opposed to this being hippy-dippy liberal, the, it's very traditional that the idea that we are aware at our deepest level, which is what your spirituality actually is, your deepest level of meaning, that this is, this is a group effort. And science is just reinforcing that we need the trees if you want to keep breathing. We need them to clean the air, the carbon dioxide. So it's simply what you were taught in catechism is what I'm saying. And it's just an application of that. Well, that applies here. Just the feminist stuff when you say, well, people are the image and likeness of God. So it's a very traditional concern, and it would be a scandal, really, if the church did not engage in this. And it might be a scandal that it took so long. We should have been leading the way because we are supposedly, to the extent that we have been catechized and evangelized, we should be sensitive to ideas of communion. Yes. I used to start my my high school class with a project where we looked at the creation narratives from scripture and what do they teach us? Well, they teach us that everything's connected. They teach us that we everything's created by God. They teach us that we are good and all things created are good. And then the next part of the project was to look at, so we'd known this since these creation narratives were written and... Now let's look at the science, which came along much later. And this concept for them that like science had to catch up to what our faith taught us all along would just really shake them. And so we would really approach the whole idea of the creation care teachings with that lens that like here are the broader truths that we know because of our faith teaching. And then here's the science that backs that up, which is great to have. We don't to have the science to back it up in order to believe it, but we actually do have the science to back right. up. Right, and if you and it's not it. and it's not just in ecology; it's in physics. You read modern mm-hmm. physics as Tom does every night before he goes to bed. If you only when I mo- can't fall asleep, right? Yeah. If you read modern physics, they sound like mystics. They don't mm-hmm. sound like scientists. If you read these guys, okay, so what are you saying? And you just sit there and go, "I've read the mystics, so it's this is really familiar. This is a scientist I'm reading." So. Mm-hmm. The insights of people have had insights before they had the tools to be able to break it down and explain the mechanics of it. But that doesn't mean they did, that we're the first people to notice, gee, isn't it funny how the sun goes in the same place all the time and the, everything is ordered and the planets and the, it all works together. This is not unique. I think it's important to remember, too, from the faith perspective, that even if there wasn't a, cri- a climate crisis. This would still, like life on earth and celebrating that life and wanting it to flourish and persist into the future and survive and thrive would still be something that we as Catholics would 
would be called to care about. When we look at those creation narratives, it when everything is still perfect, right after it's been created, it is called good and it is recognized and celebrated for just being what it is. And so even if we were not suffering, even if things were not dying, it would be part of what we're called to do with Catholics to look at all things God created and say, hey, this is really good. We should celebrate this. We should find wonder in this. And that that can get really lost in a lot of the climate conversations that feel so heavy and so despairing, but that really at the end of the day, when we look at this from a faith perspective, it's because we see it all as the sacred work of God and we care about keeping that around. Well, obviously, if we're going to promote that, then we have to start making changes. I happened to attend a symposium at Columbia University right before the pandemic that was given by scientists and lawyers who studied science. And it was a day and a half, and it was really very frightening that if we don't make changes, if we don't stop burning fossil fuels, and if we don't start making changes to how our water is distributed and where it comes from, we will be all dead in a very short time. And a very short time. I'm not talking about 300 years from now. I'm talking about less than 100 years. We're going to start to die. The earth is going to die. We have to do things. And this is hard science. But it's interesting to me the way some politicians have gone from there is no climate change to where, okay, maybe there's cyclical climate change to, okay, maybe there's climate change, but we're not causing it. Mm -hmm. So we just have to have the rest of the world agree that we are instrumental. But let's talk about some of the solutions. And I just want to go back to NCR and give you another plug for EarthBeat. I'm looking at the paper issue of June 9th, 22nd, front page article, Laudato Sea Trees Taking Root. A huge article that goes into the paper. It's a wonderful article about how in Washington, D.C., there's a program to plant trees. And who doesn't love a tree? But trees aren't just pretty. Trees serve a tremendously important function in our environment. Yes. And what I love about that story, first of all, that story that you're talking about is part of a collaboration we're doing with Solutions Journalism Network and a couple other faith-based publications to look at specifically how church property, buildings or land is being stewarded in a way with sustainability in mind. And the whole concept of Solutions Journalism is not to do like puff pieces on oh, we planted a tree for Arbor Day. Or or you should stop just a minute and tell the listeners what exactly you're referring to, that you have a problem in Washington, D.C. with the heat. A lot of concrete. What are we going to do? In Washington, D.C., at least in the northeast part especially, you have a ton of Catholic institutions, colleges, religious houses, you name it. And they are taking their acreage, which at one time may have been lawns for the campus or whatever. And they are saying, we are going to plant trees to bring down the temperature, at least the atmospheric (laughs) temperature in D.C. Too bad it doesn't work on the political. We are going to put trees. So we're going to give up our lawn and we are going to plant a mini forest in all these places around these institutions to make life better for everybody who lives in the nation's capital. See, now this is something people can understand. And they say, we could do that. 
well, look at our parish. We got, you know what I mean? It starts the wheels going, but go ahead. I just wanted exactly. to clarify no, for the listener. Thank you. And you did. It sounds like you read the story and you got the big takeaway. <laughs> he gets an A. Nice and that's that what we love about this solutions approach that was used with that story is not here's an idea, but here's something. So the program, the Ladato Trees program, that story is about is three years. It's been going on for three years now. So the question is what's already happening? What are people already doing to address this issue? And is it working? And how can I do it too? So in, we were talking about some of the environmental injustices that we see, these growing disparities, the heat islands off the areas of DC that are experiencing heat more intensely, often are, this also intersects with environmental racism a lot of times. And so they're not just planting trees and saying, hey, we planted 100 trees. They're actually partnering with tree experts to look at what type of trees should we be planting for this area? Where should we be planting them for the greatest impact? And then through this partnership, they're also getting funding and ongoing support to make sure those trees live. So we didn't plant a tree and it died six months later, but it's actually a long-term project and a long-term relationship. And I think one of the schools that is interviewed in that story talks about how it's also now become a tradition where every year, the I think it's the eighth grade class, goes out for a day and they tend the trees and they learn about the trees and why this matters. So they've really been able to implement this program and grow it in a way that has the greatest impact, which is a conversation I wasn't hearing a decade ago when I was first entering the career field, but that I'm hearing now, not just what should we do, but what can we do that will have the greatest impact? And I think especially at the parish level, at the diocesan level, where things are, people are often competing for resources or under-resourced, they want to know, well, we want to make a difference, but we need to be strategic and efficient about how we do it. And so we see programs like this now that are saying, here's what you can do. Plant 10 trees here instead of planting 100 trees over there, and you will actually have a greater impact. And I think that's a really smart question for our churches to be asking. And it's a small, the cost, this is not like we're going to install windmills and solar panels, relatively cheap, Right. This is yes. not like a million, you get a million dollars, then go see the bishop and see what you can do. No, it would be great if people could get a million dollars to implement Ladato C. And if anyone wanted to give them that money, I'm sure they'd accept it. But that's another piece that I think people are starting to realize, like solar panels are a great option. They don't always make the most sense for our church buildings that tend to be old, which means their roof might not support solar panels or their insulation might not effectively use the energy that those solar panels create. So when I worked in the diocese, we partnered with an energy company that came in and did energy efficiency audits on our parishes. And they would say, based on your building, here are the projects you could you should consider doing. And if you want solar panels, you should do these things first. And solar panels are fun and Everyone wants the latest technology, but sometimes going back to something like a tree, which is not really technology, but 
can make the same or greater impact depending on your context. And I think that's what so much of this is. You need to talk to the other groups in your community, in your area, and find out what makes the most sense for you to do. When you go to farmland and stuff, we drive, I drive up from Connecticut to Florida and do a lot of driving, but you go by these farms in Pennsylvania and you see the farmhouse in the middle of all this acreage. And what do you see around the farmhouse? You see all these beautiful trees in the summer, right? A fully leafed tree gives off like 40,000 BTUs of energy, cooling energy. But if you look around these people that were out there in the middle of nowhere in those days without the benefits of air conditioning or a lot of that cooling, use mother nature as best they can, or for a wind wind buffer to stop the wind from the Northwest. You'll see a lot of apervites and evergreens <laughs> planted on the North side to, to break the wind. Tom, I never knew you knew so much about trees. Huh? Well, nice. I'm a tree hugger from way back when. I used to climb them when I was a kid. But I'm just thinking of the slogan that we should come out of this podcast, trees better than technology. <laughs> Stephanie, if I may, I've been doing this a long time. And I'm really, it just gets old after a while. Does it really make a difference? Do I really have to keep recycling? Do I have to separate my bottles and cans from my papers and from my garbage? Does it really make a difference just if I stop? Can I stop? It's something a lot of people ask, I think. (laughs) And I've been part of various environmental groups and Facebook groups and this and that over the years. And You do see, as with so many things, like this burnout, right? Like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to do everything. Or it's almost like this obsession with, there was a like plastic-free group I was in once and people would obsess over every little piece of plastic that might enter their home. And I don't know how helpful that is. There are sometimes things we need that might not be the most sustainable option, but... Every little thing, big thing is important. It just comes down to, again, looking at your context and what is going to be the most important for you at that time. I think a lot of times that means the thing that you can do. So if recycling is taking so much of somebody's like mental energy and joy in their day-to-day life, then maybe recycling is not the thing to focus on. This is supposed to be leading to a greater enjoyment of creation and life. So do the thing sometimes that's the easiest and most convenient for you. For me, one of the first things I did when I really started thinking seriously about living Ladatosi in my life was to stop eating meat because it just seemed like the easiest thing. I didn't have to learn a whole bunch. I didn't have to get anyone else to buy in. And also Lent was approaching. So it was an easy decision, which was, again, my faith leading me into climate action. And why, just for our listeners who may not really understand this part of it, why is it an environmentally conscious thing to do to stop eating meat? The main thing is just that the way meat, especially red meat, is produced. So it takes either a lot of land to have cattle And that means cutting down trees, which we've talked about how important trees are. And then from the aspect of the animal agriculture, while you have cows to then the way that goes through production. And then also something that's included in some statistics is like the way you prepare that. So you're probably using a stove that uses gas. And the first source 
the highest source of greenhouse gas emissions is fossil fuels. Closely behind that is animal agriculture. Well, I remember when it's, I was teaching social justice, I can't remember the statistic, and it's probably, we got better data since that was many moons ago. But there was a thing in what it costs to make a pound of protein for eating purposes, yeah. a pound of protein from animal versus eating the plant or the grain that you're using to make that protein. They talked about, yeah. at the time, it was eating lower on the food chain but the point was, it was enormously wasteful. They would have statistics like how much water, extra water, gallons of water it took to make that protein in the form of a steak rather than in the form of mungo beans or whatever it is, tofu, whatever you were eating. So it, it, was, it was amazing. For a fully, like a fully vegan diet, so no dairy either, no eggs, no, no animal products. I think it's 17 times more land for your typical meat and dairy consuming diet than a fully plant-based diet, which is a lot of land. Yeah. And it was the water. Mm -hmm. It was the, the whole chain that it takes to get that and then prepare it and then eat it. It was incredibly wasteful. What do you have to throw in the Amazon forest being cut down for animal production, oh, right? The demand well, exactly. For, that's a huge issue, which we haven't, we don't even know the reper repercussions for that. No, they're just setting it on fire for mining yeah. and, and f to use to have crops down there. They're just burning. I think the last thing I read was something like they lose a piece of the Amazon every year the size of Scotland. Right. And it's illegal a lot of it. They just, the elites just send their boys out, burn it down and go, oops, well, I might as well buy it now and turn it into a ranch. Even in the U.S., we've seen, there was just an article a few weeks ago about the corn we grow in the U.S. and how, what is that being grown for? Is it right. to feed humans? Is it to feed livestock? Right. Or is it to make fuel for vehicles? And so ethically, what do we do with that information? Right. And also on a real practical level for the farmers, what makes sense to do with that? Um, right. That's the ethanol thing. And again, we will be coming up on a presidential primary season. And so when you get to these agricultural states, pay attention to how much they talk to them about, are you for ethanol, Mr. Candidate, Mrs. Candidate? Are, are you against it? Because this is money in that state. And it's not whether it's good or not, it's another issue, but there are vested interests even in corn. It's not just Exxon mm -hmm. or somebody. It's Farmer Joe who is going to make some money on corn. So what can we do individually at home to make a better world globally? I think it was Catherine Hayhoe who has said the one of the most important things we can do is simply to talk about it. Talk about the things we've been talking about today on the podcast, how it connects to other issues. Everyone might not consider themselves an environmentalist or they might not think that it's an issue that's relevant to how they live their faith. And that's fine, but you can probably find a way that it connects to something that they do care about. And so listening to what people care about and then offering information about how climate work can address that, I think can be a really helpful thing to do. Asking your parish, ask your pastor, ask your past council, your bishop. Like I said, when I was in Vermont, the reason the bishop asked me to do a year focused on Laudato Si was because enough Catholics in the state, so in Vermont, the diocese is the whole state, enough Catholics in the state had written to him or 
visited him and mentioned, hey, I want to see this. So if this is something you care about, tell your bishop and then offer them resources. If you have a like a Ladato C office in your diocese or parish, point them to the resources they can use. Maybe it's getting a budget line for creation stuff every year. Maybe it's looking at that planting trees, solar panels, or just advocating for the policies. Like you're saying, we're coming up on an election year. There's so many different ways to get involved. And just talking about it is the first step. Now, you mentioned, you just said creation. Now, we haven't explained that to the listener. Explain to the listener, please, Stephanie, care of creation. That is a separate ministry now that they can that's the Google they can do to find out what's going on in the diocese in the area you're talking about today. Sure. So different dioceses might call it different things, but generally speaking, Care for Creation is the section of Catholic social teaching that talks about all these things. That's the language that is used by the church and creation, meaning that we're not just talking about humans. We're not just talking about trees or cows or butterflies, it's all of it. If we believe that all things were created by God, then when we say care for creation, that means everything. And so that's how you'll usually see it referred to within the church and something that will differentiate a faith-based movement on this from a mainstream one. Right, and you'll find that in the diocesan website. Probably, if you don't see it listed, care of creation or care for creation, go to the peace and justice, because a lot of times that's also their remit to deal with care of creation. So these are the people, and you have dialysis and offices, and they pay these people because they're knowledgeable. So if you want to know what can I do, where are the groups, what are the parishes doing this, call your peace and justice office, your local diocese, and ask those questions. They are in touch with the people and the resources in your diocese. And so that's, but it's the term of art is care of creation. And it usually comes under peace yes, and justice, and just so you can get started. And not, if you don't get the response you're looking for there, another great place to ask about people in your area who care about these same things is the Catholic Climate Covenant, which is the U.S. Bishop's office that focuses on this. And they've got a whole network across the country of groups that may or may not be Um, connected to a particular parish, but of people in different areas who want to do work on these topics, or the Laudato Si movement, which is a global group, but they also have a network and they can plug you in with people who are probably already working on this. So if people Google what now? The Catholic Catholic Climate Climate, Covenant. All right. So um, Google Catholic Climate Covenant, and you can get into a whole area of networks and situations. Catholic Climate covenant and the second group you mentioned was the laudato si movement yeah okay the laudato you get a brush up on your latin to do that one but that's the name of the encyclical that pope francis wrote laudato si si for c the rest of it you can sound out that's pretty much how it's spelled and then you can find that'll take you into all kinds of places Mm -hmm. for all kinds of stuff yes both groups have fans of networks and also a lot of resources so something they've recently said to me is don't ever feel like you have to create something on your own. It probably already exists, and we're happy to share these things. So, yeah, great groups to have. Stephanie, what kind of feedback are you getting from 
younger people in our Catholic parishes. Are they uh, rallying to the cause here? They are. There's some new efforts by the groups I was just talking about that focus specifically on uh, climate action, Ladacho Sea work. So definitely, if that's something you're either a minister in those areas or a young person who wants to get involved, both the Catholic Climate Covenant and the Ladacho Sea movement have some programming coming out on those topics. I always think it's really interesting to ask young people why they're engaging through the church, right? Because there's a million environmental movements out there and they're all doing good work. I always personally like to know, why are you doing this through the church? And I think for a lot of them, it's one of the main ways that they feel plugged into the faith world. There might be a lot of things going on in the church that they don't like or that they just don't really care about. I don't think many young people probably know when bishops meetings are happening or even some global efforts that the Pope might be behind. But a lot of them do know about the environmental movement. And if that's something their church cares about, then they find that a really useful space to be in to engage with the church. It makes your faith real. Mm -hmm. It makes your faith real. And in talking about real faith, it's time to ask you the question that we ask all, all of our guests when they come on. Imagine an imaginary person that is standing in the door of your parish church and they can't figure out whether they should come in or go out. They're either leaving or they're considering coming in. With all the problems that we have in the world, which we've talked about a lot today, and all the problems that we have in our church, what would you say to such a person? I would ask them what got them to the door, whether they're going in or out, what led them to the door to begin with, and then also what keeping them from stepping through, again, regardless of which direction they're going. And then based on the answer to that, just try to speak to that experience, validate that experience, validate what they're feeling, and then speak to that. Like we've said on so many things today, care for creation intersects with so many other issues. I think I would say every other issue. So I would probably then offer to talk about how that's one of the ways that I stay connected to a church that I have a lot of problems with, but that overall, I always think adds value to my life and being a part of the church community is just one of the most consistent communities that I've ever found. And wherever I've lived, whatever my job has been, my state in life, and that really is valuable. Thank you so much for that. If people want to read more about this topic, where should they go to find information, Stephanie? You can read everything that we publish at earthbeat.org or sign up for the Earthbeat Weekly Newsletter which won an honorable mention at the Catholic Media Awards this year. So Yay. I can now invite you to the award-winning sort of newsletter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so once a week great. that goes out with all of our content in it. But if you're not wanting another email in your inbox, you can always find it at earthbeat.org or on all social media. We're at Earthbeat NCR. Wow. Okay. That's great news. Thank you so much, Stephanie. This has been really wonderful. It's been eye-opening. And it's important. It's an important topic. And we thank you for coming and sharing yes, with us. Indeed. Thank you so much. Year. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It was so great to be here and talk about all this. Special thanks to El Jefe Paul Snatchko and our editor, David Dalt. The Deacon's Pod is powered by the Paulus Fathers. 
You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts and, of course, at our own website, www.deaconspod.com. That's D-E-A-C-O-N-S with an S, Deacons, plural, pod, all one word, dot com. And, of course, we'd love to hear your comments at our email address, which is deaconspod, again, with an S, deacons, at paulist.org. That's P-A-U-L-I-S-T dot org. Love to hear from you. That's our offering. We thank you for being with us. On behalf of our colleagues at the Missionary Society of St. Paul the Apostle, we wish you a future brighter than any past. Till next time.